Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Megan Strand, your host for today, and I'm honored to be joined by Nim Chanaya, Executive Vice President at Northwestern University. Greetings, Nim. Hi, Megan. It's great to be with you. Thank you so, so much. Well, I know that you are gracious enough to join me today to talk a little bit about your career path and some of the critical insights that you've learned along the way. And speaking of career paths, at about this time last year, I think you made a professional move from the University of Chicago to Northwestern. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've, I had been at the University of Chicago for seven years um, in the lead uh, chief business officer role and had the opportunity to consider coming to Northwestern. So another great uh, university. Um, so professionally, it was a broader role that gave me a slightly different uh, landscape and runway to work on. But then personally, it was a job that kept me right here in Chicago. So when I put the two opportunities, both the personal and the professional opportunities together, uh, I was convinced that this would be the right next step for me. And I can tell you nine months later, uh, that turned out to be exactly the way I had hoped it would be. So it's a great opportunity to be at another great um private research university and to continue my journey uh, in this type of role. Can you tell us how your current role is, is different from your last? Anything that's been a surprise to you or things you've learned in the past nine months? I mean, I'm sure there's, there's plenty, but when you look back, specifically things that jump out to you? It, yeah, in, in many ways, the roles are very similar. So uh, in some ways, it's the difference in the institutions that causes the role to be different. So at Northwestern, uh, I have an even more strategic focus than I did at the University of Chicago. Uh, so I'm responsible for a $10 billion endowment, which is a little bit different because at the University of Chicago, the chief investment officer reports directly to the president. Uh, I'm responsible here for community relations um, and engagement. Uh, so that includes both Evanston, the city of Chicago, um, and then I'm also leading our global strategy for Northwestern University, uh, along with the dean of the business school. So it just gives me a slightly different vantage point. Um, so in some ways, the areas of responsibilities are similar, but it's the way in which the role is structured with a much more strategic focus, uh, and in some cases, even more externally focused role that was very attractive to me in taking it. So Nim, when you think back on your, your career, your longer career, longer than the past nine months, what would you say was a key defining experience that sort of set you on the path to where you are today? Yeah, so this is my 25th year in higher education. So between my first and second year of my uh, MBA at Vanderbilt University, I had the opportunity to join uh, the person who had this role um, at Vanderbilt, that was Bill Jenkins, uh, to work um, as an intern uh, really in, in his areas. Uh, and that really gave me a glimpse into the power of higher educational institutions, but then also the breadth and complexity of working in this type of a role. So that began my um, 
love affair with higher education that 25 years later has stayed uh, intact. So I really go back uh, to that moment of accepting an internship opportunity in a great higher educational institution without knowing a whole lot more about universities rather than my experiences as a student. So that really became the defining moment for why 25 years later um, I'm still crazy about higher education and, and love being in this kind of a role. Wow. I, it sounds like you've had a long, long tenure uh, in, in this industry. So congratulations. Any other sort of pivotal moments of your career when you look back over that 25-year span outside of that MBA sort of internship experience that you say, you know, here here was a, cro- a turning point for me where I could have done something else or, you know, here was what really cemented for me that I was in the right place. Uh, yeah, I've had the privilege of working at three great institutions. So at Vanderbilt, uh, watched that institution and was part of a team uh, that took it from being viewed as a very strong regional player to an international university uh, with a great academic medical center. And then to come to the University of Chicago that had a very storied reputation, but also to watch that university go from good and great Uh, to even better. So when I came to Northwestern a year ago, um, what I was struck by is looking back over my career and saying, you know, most people get to do these kind of journeys and transformations once. I really had the privilege to do it at two great institutions and to be part of a team that's uh, well on the way to doing it at a third one. So it really has been the collection of experiences that I have found to be energizing, inspiring, where every day I'm able to get up and come to work knowing um, that what I do matters and it really contributes to making uh, great universities even better. What are you doing now professionally that you never would have imagined, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago? I think to me what I'm really struck by is how much of a blending of roles there is. Uh, I remember when I began working in higher education 25 years ago, uh, these roles seemed to have clear boundaries. Um, So, you know, the administration and finance uh, and then the academic side. Uh, You know, here at Northwestern, much like I did at the University of Chicago, my role uh, is really to be a partner with the president, the provost. And when you do that, there is such a blending of roles. So the provost and I, uh, you know, most days seem to kind of share a box rather than, you know, there being a clear boundary between uh, his role and mine. And I that I find it interesting because we have different skills and vantage points. But if we work together as partners, then and you bring these two skill sets together, I think it's a it's a very powerful force for the university, uh, you know, now and in the future. So that's really how I've seen the role evolve. And I would not have predicted that, that, it, you know, there really would be a blending of these roles over time. And do you think that was a natural progression? Or was there something that really happened along the way that you can point to to say, here's when those lines started to blur? I think it was really the understanding in higher education that you know, no one person can do it. Uh, And so while, you know, the provost is responsible for academic strategy, uh, you know, my areas and I are very, very responsible for the implementation. So for example, if you take building a building, uh, you know, the provost, the deans, the faculty in many ways design what happens in the building, but then it's my facilities group that really has to deliver that building in partnership. So in the past, we would have designed the building programmatically and then kind of tossed it over 
a picket fence to the facilities group. But now what's what's different is the provost and I are there at the very beginning and stay through the entire process of getting that building built. Uh, it's the same thing for our teams, whether it's on the academic side or on the facilities side. So that's just one example of how there's been the blending of these roles. So in many ways, you know, the places that do this effectively at a very high level have, have come to the conclusion, you know, kind of these silos just don't make sense. So while we might have structures which are very important, it is people's collaboration. So I think that is a critical success factor. And that's what's caused this change in, in kind of how these roles work together and beside each other rather than kind of a separate. It sounds like you absolutely epitomize that that strategy of integrating those pieces. But are there other people, other institutions in the field that you look to as a best practice model for, for, for that particular structure? Yeah, I think most of the, the top tier universities and even, you know, small colleges and universities have really come to come to this kind of a model. So when I look at people who I think are effective, are people who see their role as partners, not as, you know, we watch institutions from themselves or that we have skills that other people on campus don't, but really how do those skills supplement a great university and enable the work of a university? So I think, you know, there, uh, you know, when I look at my peer group, there are wonderful people who've, uh, who've really, you know, both gone before me, but then who've also, you know, even in my current generation of leadership, really come to this job very differently than many of their predecessors did in terms of how this partnership and collaboration and kind of being in service with one another really comes through. And and speaking of your colleagues, what are some of the challenges that you you hear a lot from from that set and that potentially you share? And and what what wisdom do you do you share when you're when you're hearing those challenges? Yeah, I think the the biggest shift in our role is that we've kind of gone from being kind of functional specialists or technicians to really being broad-based senior advisors, you know, to the president, to the provost, to the board, to the deans, to program directors, to our faculty, even to student groups. So I think to do that, I think the skill set today is very different. So you've got to be an extremely effective communicator. Uh, You've got to be able to convene people and use the power of influence rather than the power of status or role or title. So I think these are some of the important changes that I see that really repositions the role. So the the biggest challenge is that, uh, you know, a lot of people are trained in kind of the technical depth. I think our roles have evolved to breadth uh, and having kind of a wide portfolio of experiences. So that's hard when you are, when your training is in one place, but then the expectation for the role is in a different spot. Uh, So, you know, most of the time, you know, when I encourage people and when I'm meeting with groups or people that aspire to this role, I really stress the fact that you've got to have breadth. You know, you've got to be able to deal with a wide variety of topics even if it's not in your kind of area of direct expertise. Well, and it sounds, uh, clearly you can teach some of those technical skills, but some of those skills, it it seems like maybe harder to teach things like, influence over authority, 
some of those really inherent communication skills. Any resources that you point people to, to kind of beef up those softer skills? Yeah, I just, you know, to me, I, I tend to be very instinctive in how you do this. So kind of watching and learning, uh, you know, people who do this effectively. Uh, I think that's helpful. I mean, I think, you know, organizations like Nokubo, obviously, you know, training programs. Uh, but some of it is also uh, just being adaptive. Uh, you know, I think, you know, being relevant in today's world is very important. Um, so I have a, a group of people that, you know, through the years have been my guides and mentors through this journey. Um, so I think, you know, I am g generally not afraid to pick up the phone and call one of them and say, you know, how do we work through this? issue if you if, you know because and people are very good in higher education i think we are one of the best industries in mentoring and coaching and sharing information so if you're not uh, too proud and you're willing to ask for help uh, there's a lot of people who are who are ready to help you uh, through a, a specific um, situation by giving you examples or at least kind of you know looking back on their experiences and saying whatever you do i wouldn't do this and that's helpful. Can you speaking of that? Can you think of a particular example or experience that you had that you turned to a mentor in the field to to sort of help you through? The financial crisis was a great a great training ground for a lot of us because there was no playbook for that. You know, no one predicted it really, no one expected it. So we were all kind of thrust into, uh, you know, helping, you know, what are hundred year institutions, which are our universities, but really having to make kind of hourly and day to day decisions. So that was a great opportunity for several of us to almost on a daily basis to be on the phone or an email with each other to say, hey, how is your institution dealing with this particular issue? Is there something you're doing that I can learn? And is there something that I'm doing that can be helpful to you? So I, I, I really felt like the financial crisis in many ways, as difficult as it was, it was also higher education at its best um, because we seem to come together and share ideas and support each other and our areas uh, through that time. So I found that, um, you know, uh, they were definitely difficult and challenging and, um, you know, scary times, but it was also a time when I really felt good about the level of support I had from my peer group. Uh, and I'd like to think that I was supportive of others during that time as well. And speaking of that peer group, it sounds like you have a very cemented group of colleagues right now, but I'm sure that wasn't always the case. When you were earlier in your career, how did you find those people? How, where did you, where did you go other than just picking up the phone and calling people that potentially you knew already? Yeah, I was very fortunate to work for uh, a CFO, Lauren Brisky, who's since retired at Vanderbilt, who was phenomenal at um, not only cultivating and developing talent, but introducing uh, her team to other people. So I remember coming to Nakubo, you know, probably now 15 uh, years ago, where she took me around and introduced me to kind of the titans of of our, our field. Uh, so at such a young age to be exposed to people who were masters of their, their, their field it was, you know, it was great to look up to them. And then also, you know, you built those network of relationships and some of them have stood the test of time. So there are people who um, have been very influential and helpful in guiding me, you know, even in terms of discussions about do I stay in higher ed, do I go somewhere else, and really being those encouraging influencers who have been wonderful um, 
mentors to guide my steps in 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 this journey. Can you think of a, a specific experience where you made a mistake that you will never make again? Yeah, I think, you know, when you work in a higher educational institution, I think very early on, uh, you, you know, it was this tendency to forget that you really serve the work of our faculty and our students. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you it's easy to kind of come to work every day and kind of think about, you know, I've got to, I've got to do the set of things on my to-do list. But learning very early on that there was a context for our work and you don't just do things for the sake of doing them. So I think if I made a mistake, it was kind of coming into higher ed was in some way being kind of brash and overconfident in thinking, hey, I'm an MBA with great skills um, and I can just kind of come in and plug in. But having great mentors like Lauren and others who helped teach me that, you know, it's a real mistake if we think of our roles again in isolation. And now, you know, I fast forward 25 years and those lessons really ring true in this partnership that I just talked about. You know, how do you be in partnership with the academic enterprise, which is really the reason for us being here in the first place. So, uh, you know, I used to work for a provost who used to say, Nim, I can run a world-class university. And I, that is, should be our focus. So the focus isn't let's run a world-class finance organization within a university, but it is that they both have to coexist and work together. And I think early in my career, I would have thought that my job was to come in and just kind of create excellence in my areas. But creating excellence in my areas has to be in the context of the academic enterprise. What would you say you do on a daily basis to that end? What, when you look at your daily life, what sorts of things jump out to you that demonstrate just that, that point you've just made? I think it's the listening and the learning. Uh, you know, I, I, this is a journey. So there's not a day that goes by where, you know, I'm not on my drive home and I can look back and think, wow, you know, that's different. I didn't think about it. And usually it's an interaction with uh, one of our deans understanding what problem they're trying to solve or, you know, working with the student group on a particular uh, issue or a conversation with the provost or the president. So I think it's this, it's this ability to constantly listen and learn rather than kind of come to the table saying, look, you know, been there, done that before. I've seen this. I can handle it. Because it is in that listening, it is in that conversation, and it is in that being in partnership that I think you get better at your job um, which is important for the institution. So, you know, uh, whether it is talking to a dean about how they're trying to move one of their programs that's kind of a national leader to a global position and really understanding, you know, what does that really take? You know, this is not just about, you know, building a building and plopping a program in some part of the world, but really understanding and connecting to their strategy behind why they're doing it in the first place. So I think it's that learning that I, you know, find, you know, inspiring and energizing um, because I constantly feel like you learn something new. And it's always important to be evolving, right? It is. Uh, and I think that that's the other thing is being relevant. So I, I think it's constantly keeping up with the trends, uh, not just in your field, but really in other fields. You know, what are schools of engineering doing? What are business schools doing? You know, what does a global um, strategy look like at other great universities so that when the moment comes, you are relevant and you are ready to speak to the issues and the trends in higher education. How do you stay update on, on those trends? Are there things that you read on a 
daily or regular basis that you would recommend others take a look at? Yeah. So, you know, it's as simple as, you know, if I get a newsletter where somebody mentions, say, a program at Yale University, I tend to find some time in the day to kind of go get on Yale's website and try to find out a little bit more about that program. So I think it's kind of the, you know, keeping your intellectual curiosity high. So it is, you know, tracking things like the Chronicle of Higher Education, the Wall Street Journal. So kind of staying in your both in your industry and your field, but then also kind of getting in the habit of, you know, people send us annual reports from their institutions all the time. So I kind of keep a stack of them beside uh, my desk or at home where, you know, sometime when I have some time, I flip through those, but then I also kind of make the mental note of, hey, you know, that sounds like an interesting program that they're doing. Let me go over and kind of read about it. Um, so one example is right now we are, uh, working on our global strategy for Northwestern, kind of, you know, who does it, who does it well. Um, so I have people who can kind of go out and do that research for me, but there are moments where it's really important to kind of, you know, go on my own and take a look or make a phone call to find um, a connection to someone and ask the probing questions. Anything else you'd like to share today, Nim, that I haven't asked? I just think that, you know, uh, these this is, you know, a fascinating role. It's a role that I absolutely love and I can't imagine me doing um, something else. But it really is, you know, it's a role that's evolving. It's a role that's changing. Um, so my encouragement to people is, you know, go after these roles, do them well, but stay current and relevant because I think it's it's relevancy that's the key for us if we're going to be successful in these roles. And it sounds like you've been incredibly successful in doing that, Nim. So thank you so, so much for chatting with me today. It's absolutely been a delight. It's my pleasure. And I um, am so grateful for the opportunity to be here at Northwestern and to have the opportunity to speak with you and anybody else who listened to this podcast. Thank you. And so thank you for mentioning people listening to the podcast because we'd like to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you've taken some interesting insights from this conversation with Nim. I know that I have. And you can find out more about NIM and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. And be sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so that you don't miss an episode. And on behalf of NIM and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks, and we'll talk to you next time.